Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. It's everybody's favorite hosts doing it still. It's me, Michael Levito. My sister, Kathleen Levito. We're both wearing... We're both wearing Deadpool, Deadpool shirts. shirts. <laughs> I didn't get the memo. The family that Deadpool's together stays together. I've got a Hillary shirt because I'm in touch with the youths. <laughs> and, of course, Lars Emerson as well. That's me. Yeah. Um, whom I owe, I owe an apology, by the way, because the last episode, you were like, oh, Goodwill Hunting, one reason I don't like it as much is because it's like the internet's choice to win. Yeah. And I was like, but actually Letterboxd would have LA Confidential win. I was wrong. Oh! About my own list. Oh! So, Goodwill Hunting actually was Letterboxd's favorite from that year. Lars was right. And you can check my list on Letterboxd.com. Someone actually, like, favorited it. Nice. Someone I don't know. Um, <laughs> Sure. It was you, wasn't it? <laughs> I mean, his name was Ryan, and I know a couple of Ryans, so I, I don't know. It could have been. But uh, we're here to talk about 1998. And as usually begin, the year was 1998. It was the year the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. God damn it. It was the year the Jets won 12-4. and four. It was the year Frank Sinatra died. It was also the year Frank Sinatra died. But most importantly... Five movies came out, and they were all nominated for Best Picture. And guess what? They were all took place in either during the reign of Queen Elizabeth or World War II. And those movies were The Aptly Named Elizabeth, mm. Life is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, mm. Shakespeare in Love, and The Thin Red Line. Mm-hmm. So I think we're just going to get right down to it and kick things off with Elizabeth. Um, which is a movie that was directed by did not I did not pull up the Wikipedia page fast enough. Just um, like she came directed off. by Shekhar Kapoor, um, written by Michael Hurst, starring Kate Blanchett, Jeffrey Rush, Christopher Eccleston, Joseph Fiennes, Eric Cantona, Richard, and Richard Attenborough. Um, so British, very British, and it's a movie about um, the rise of Queen Elizabeth after the death of her sister Mary. Um, Mary was Catholic, Elizabeth was Protestant, and this caused the whole hullabaloo. A lot of people tried to make her not Queen of England anymore, and it's about her sort of fighting off those attempts to overthrow her, and learning how at a very, a fairly young age, how to become uh, queen. Kathleen, what do you think of this movie? I loved this movie. I thought it was all sorts of fantastic. We watched it a while ago, so do I have the specifics in mind right now? <laughs> no. But what I will say is that I will not address the storyline yet, because I know that you guys like to do that, but um, visually stunning, mm-hmm. costumes stunning, makeup gorgeous, hair artistry amazing, um, I think it's all part of costuming. Um, Separate awards, though. True. Um, <laughs> um, uh, setting... Colors, all of that, fantastic. The end when she like comes out and she's all like, "I'm married to England now," and you're like, "Whoa, she has overcome! Like, she is no longer human." It's great. I love it. Yeah. Lars, that's woke. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I think this was a great movie. It gave me a lot of feelings about <laughs> about things that I don't usually feel feelings, like England. Uh, <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, I thought it was good. I think it was an interesting, like, political piece, mm-hmm. which um, 
I, I, I think it's an oddly befitting film for the time it came out, the late the late nineties. It's where you start to see like a rise of a very partisan America. Um, and I think this is like a good film about partisanship, kind of. Mm, yeah. Um, that's kind of the lens that I have been thinking about it in. Mm. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned the Lewinsky scandal thing, Mike. <laughs> Still relevant. Yeah. Uh, um, um, yeah. No. Um, I think it's. I think it's really well cast. I think there's some. There's some weird, but kind of like funny parts to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, overall, nice. Yeah, the French guy just being like a French oh. guy. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. so good. And he ends up being a crossdresser. And yeah. Just, that scene is just. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and what I like too is that it's just like they make him so French, and he, like everyone hates him too. Like no one's like, oh, oh, brilliant. No one's like everyone hates him. Um, I like what you said about the political thing. Like, I, I, it was interesting. Is like if this movie would be like a reaction to like, yeah, Gingrich era Republicans yeah. that like, yeah, resents the fact that they were no longer in power. Um, yeah, this, yeah, I, I think what you said, Kathleen, about it being visually stunning. Like, I was expecting like a kind of like stately costume mm-hmm. drama, like something like Downton Abbey, yes, yeah, um, or like Sense and Sensibility, like we watched earlier, which like looks good, but I don't think it really does it's anything. It's more subdued, right? But this is, like, um, it looks like no other costume drama I've seen before. Like, it opens with an overhead shot of these people being burned at the stake. Mm -hmm. Like, um, good times. It basically uses curtains as, like, filters. Like, there'll be people talking behind curtains, then it kind of filters. Um, Like, there's one scene where they're, uh, Daniel Craig, who has a very small cameo appearance, who plays plays a priest who tries to murder the queen. Um, There's a scene where he's being hung hung upside down on torture, but the camera's also upside down. Oh, yeah. Um, That was good. And just, like, the way... Yeah, I think um, it it treats... It's a very sort of, like, solemn movie in a way. And a very, like... It's very... It's, like, it's intense in a way. It's a political thriller, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's not all I was expecting. That's kind of not... I guess that... Well, it's not what I'm used to with, like, British movies um, that are, like, acclaimed for their acting, I guess. Um, and, yeah, like, like in one sequence, like like you said, where she, like, it basically, like, had, had, like is, so basically what happens is, like, her and Joseph Fiennes are a thing, um, and then it turns out Joseph Fiennes is... A scumbag. Involved in the plot to overthrow her. Um, and also involves other women. Yes, that well, he was married. Turns yeah, out. too handsome. Yeah, which Joseph <laughs> finds being secretly married is a theme this year. Um, oh yeah, we forget to Shakespeare yeah, I forgot. a lot. Um, dude gets around, but I think uh, what was I going to say? And she's like, you know, how, how do I, how do I go on? And she looks at a stone statue of um, the Virgin Mary, and then models herself after that. And yeah, like when she says, there's this one uh, advisor who is like insisting that she marry either the king of Portugal, who was her brother-in-law, or no, he's the king of Spain rather, um, the king of Spain, or this like French. I don't think they were like kings back then, because like there was like weird things with the French throne, but the French guy, yeah, um, Pope, the French Pope, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she's just like I'm married to England now. She descends, and like everyone's bowing towards yeah. her. It's very, it's. Humbling. It's humbling. It's like it's, it's kind of like I don't want to say it's biblical, but it's like it, it just has yeah. that sort of grandiosity. Well, and well, 
Can you speak first, Lars? I think it is biblical, though, mm-hmm. in that she, like, what is it? She says, like, England is both her husband and her child, even though she's never, like, she is a virginal queen. Mm-hmm. Is she's, I mean, I think she does think of herself as, like, a, like, above mortal figure. Mm-hmm. In like in like a George Washington way, is that yeah. she is like she is like humbled, and like she has forsaken her entire life mm-hmm. to like become and like save her country. And I think so. You called it a political drama, did you say? Political thriller. Thank you, political thriller. It's also this really rapid um, image of, of a, a young girl shedding her girlhood mm. in the sense that like mm. she was so I mean like the first thing we learn about Elizabeth is that she's so in love with Joseph Fine mm. and um for some reason for some reason <laughs> that face but um the, the first time you meet her she's dancing with him or something like that and um throughout the entire movie she's so connected to him and she you can see how much she wants him to be her her king and then when she finds out about everything it's just like the the like little girlness of her, the part that believes she could be in love, the belief like that all is just shed, and she becomes like the Virgin Queen and or the Virgin Mary in the sense that like her duty is to serve now, um, and it was never really about her to begin with. It was about whatever she's raising, and in this case, she's raising a country, and so she becomes essentially like stone. She's un- immovable. She is just this this pillar for which this country can stand on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that I pretty much sums it up. Another other sequence I wanted to talk about is, like, the one where she gives sort of, like, her first address to, I guess it was the House of Lords at the time. I don't really know. Um, and it, this shot is, like, this shot that's moving towards her throne, presumably from her point of view, and you have all these um, men. Some of them are priests. Some of them are just, like, you know, rich dudes. And they're sort of, like, parting... As the camera is coming, but they're all like staring at her, and it's got this sort of like eerie. I feel like it has some sort of like choral music, um, and that is, that cuts back from that shot to her like practicing the speech she's going to give, like in her bedroom, and she's very like having a really tough time with it. She's like kind of crying, and like even when it's showing her giving a speech, like there are jump cuts, so it's all like it's very like you know you get this there's like anxiety going on. Um, it's just like a. It's it's great because it at once communicates like her vulnerability and like her humanity, but also like the sort of like um, institutional heaviness of what's going yeah. on. I guess um, there's also a scene when she's addressing her whatever the room of men, whoever they are, and it's somewhere in the middle of the movie where she's asking. She's basically no one's quite convinced yet that she as a woman can rule the country necessarily and she needs a king basically so she's kind of flirting with them and being like well who do you think I should marry mm-hmm. then like oh me like my own self couldn't do this so you see a lot of different sides of her and I think she puts on a lot of different faces mm-hmm. where at first she's this very young girl um, you know this love filled girl that she becomes this that transfers it starts transferring over into the position and she's kind of playing with do I flirt my way into this position, or do I, like, how do I become this? And then she's learning through that process of that scene that you just mentioned with the jump cuts and her practicing, she's learning what it actually means to hold this position. And then at the end, you see that she's really become it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that uh, it kind of does it. 
I also just I, I just feel like pointing out because I feel like it was also a cool scene it was Mary of Guise who's like this French princess queen I don't know who's like aiding basically helping Scotland try and take over parts of England oh yeah and like the scene of like because and so like and so like Elizabeth gets persuaded to send all these troops to go fight it and they're like totally ill prepared they have no idea what they're doing they get you know they're all dead and there's like children or like child soldiers basically and like there's this and like so you see like the French soldiers going just like you know finishing off everybody and then but there's like one kid and then you see like Mary of Guise coming like this armor like riding on a horse and it's from like the kid's point of view and she's like no like spare this one tell England not to sell children to fight its wars and you're kind of like oh like Elizabeth is mentally perhaps a child at this mm-hmm. point too so it's just kind of a parallel there Whoa. um yeah, nice. so a really like well-made movie. I think like a pretty like underseen movie because I feel yeah. like no one of really of all these movies listed, so maybe like the Thin Red Line. I feel like no one really talks about it. Yeah, um, and I, I I was very much surprised by how much I like. I wasn't expecting it to be bad, but like I was surprised by how like how much I was actually like engaged by yeah. it. it. Like it, it, I was like yeah, the most surprising movie I think we've watched so far from what I was expecting to what I ended up getting. I always enjoy. Um, historical movies more than I think I will mm. but usually it's just you kind of get sucked into the world of the history and it's it's fun to see these characters come to life but with this it was really the movie itself I think captured me rather than just the like oh let's play pretend yeah 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 um I agree like movies like this like period pieces kind of in general aren't usually like my thing I was surprised yeah in a good way all right uh, it was nominated for Best Costume Design. Um, it won for Best Makeup. Uh, it was nominated for Best Cinematography, Art Direction, Dramatic Score. Kate Blanchett was nominated for Best Actress. I probably should have won. Oh, no, we'll talk about that. And, of course, nominated for Best Picture. Um, I'm going to move on to Life is Beautiful. That um, movie that, also known as La Vita e Bella, because it is in Italian. La Vita e Bella. Metaphor. La Vita e Bella. Metaphor. Metaphor. Call back to our episode we talked about. It was Bostino. <laughs> um, I was saying, as we were watching this, because Lars just kept saying metaphor <laughs> the entire <laughs> time. That I was imagining him on the streets of Rome. That's the only word in Italian he knows. He's trying to get around. Well, um, it is beautiful. Directed by Roberto Benigni. Written by Roberto Bonini and Vincenzo Cerami. By the way, this is okay because I'm Italian. Um, <laughs> and starring Roberto Bonini, Nicoletta Broski, Giorgio Contarini. I also can't pronounce the words apparently. Uh, Gustino Durano and Horst Buchholz. Spaghetti. Spaghetti. my spaghetti. That means spaghetti. Anyway. So this movie, it's 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 kind of like two movies in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, Indeed, it's oh, a, it really is. Yeah. It's about this guy named Guido Guido Orifice, um, which is unfortunate because his name is Guido Orifice. But um, <laughs> he he's this guy. Um, he is an Italian Jew, and he goes to some city. They never explain what city, but he goes to a city um, to work, and he wants his dreams to open up a bookstore. But he gets a job as a waiter initially, and he keeps running into the school teacher there, um, named Dora. And you know, he he basically just tries to woo her, right? It's sort of the first half of it, and there's lots of sort of like Charlie Chaplin esque hijinks mm-hmm. that go on. Um, and then the second half of the movie, it flash forwards it's like for like five six years. Um, they're married and they have a kid, and this is at uh, presumably during World War Two. 
I think pretty pretty accurate. Yeah, um, and the Germans have taken a degree of control over sort of the Italian affairs, and uh, he and his son and his wife, through a different means, end up being sent to a concentration camp. And um, he, it sounds like like what's going on, what's going on. He doesn't really know, but he basically to sort of have his help his son cope with it. He's like, oh, we're here to play a game, right? Like it's it's your birthday, and uh, you have this toy tank you really love. And so we're here to play a game, and the goal of the game is to like we're gonna win a real tank at the end. But like you ha- like you, it's like we're basically playing a giant game of hide and seek. Like you have to hide. Like you can't let anybody find you. You can't talk to anybody. Like while well, making up all these rules um, to keep his kids safe. To keep his kids <laughs> safe. And that's the movie. Lars, you liked this movie. I I I did. That's why I feel like I should go last. Really? Yes. I, you you two should go first. I okay. Um. Here's my thing with this movie. I want to like this movie. And I like it in theory, I think. And I think it's a very well-meaning movie. And I feel like at its core, there's a very sort of like... The idea of a father shielding his son from like... Basically the greatest horror of the 20th century... Is like a very... Touching and... And and a story worth telling. I would like... I feel like this movie would like work way more if it didn't feel like it would... Like if, it, if it didn't try so hard to be a comedy. Um... Because I just feel like there's a disconnect between the comedic tone of some scenes and the subject matter. Um, and Lars is giving me a look now, but I, and I, I just finish. I, I, that's that, that that's that's. I think we're gonna get into it more, like you know, as we go on. So I'm gonna like leave it at that for the most part. But I just feel like there's just a, a somewhat of a tonal problem to this movie that keeps me from like being like, oh yeah, this is like a. a good movie that yeah. doesn't make me feel weird because it does yeah <laughs> um kathleen um i've been thinking about this more since we first watched it um although i still stand by a lot of what i said so what i like about this movie is that it really is split in two where you have the um romantic comedy part at the beginning and you you get a hints about World War II going on, or there's there's stirrings of anti-Semitism and all of that, mm. but it isn't in your face. It's not like really like heavy foreshadowing mm. or anything. Yeah, and then it really is in a single scene. It's like the entire movie shifts, mm. and all of a sudden they're in a concentration camp. Um, I think I don't. My problem is not with the tone of this movie. I think it could work really, really well. What my problem is with is that we're not shown enough horror because I really want, if it's going to be a comedy, I really want that contrast between the very stark horror of what's going on and this comedy that he's trying to construct for his child. Also, it really made me think of how, what to what lengths I would go to shield my future hypothetical children, but that's a discussion for another time. Um, and it's, yes, in a concentration camp, yes, it's... You never see really anyone die. I mean, you say dead bodies, but there's no character that... Only you... once. Do you see dead bodies? Yeah. Um, I mean, at the end, I feel like you see some more. No, maybe not. Maybe it's not really... There's like that scene where he's like walking through the fog and he's kind of yeah. lost and you see his... Yeah, but I'm, I'm thinking like at the very end when they're clearing out the camp, but... I guess you don't really... You see them putting them and everybody in trucks. You hear yeah. people get killed. Yeah, yeah, you hear people. It's not a bloody movie, though, at all. It's not gory. No. It's the least of the gory World War II movies this year. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> um, 
But what I really want is that I feel like, not that I feel this movie could too easily be just a comedy, but it's like I want to not feel like they're in this really like uncomfortable, it almost feels like an uncomfortable vacation Mm. for a week, and then they're gone. I want to see... I want to see this true horror of what's happening. And you get glimpses at it, but I don't feel like the weight ever really sinks in. That being said, this is the second time I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time was years ago, I think, in high school. I really like this movie. Okay. Yeah. I wouldn't watch it again, but I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> Lars's rebuttal. Okay. <laughs> so I love this movie. This is my first time seeing it. So I, I think this. I think it works. I think the film, the film, the horror of this film is all in the dramatic irony. Kathleen's the gripe is that it's 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 comedic. There's not enough like actual like grimness to see. Michael's gripe is that it sort of underscores the actual terror of the time. But I don't think it does. I think it's just a different way to look at it. We've we've seen the Holocaust movies. We've seen Schindler's. We know. Mm-hmm what that all is and what I mean by dramatic irony is it's like the audience is like the only one who actually knows what's happening in this film it's like we all know how this is gonna play out mm-hmm. we know what happened and we know like this is terrible and we know that like this father is terrified for his child and cannot show it and that's why I think this movie's brilliant is it's all about like watching him like break as he, like, does his best to get this child through, like, the most terrifying thing that's ever happened in, like, the modern world. Um, and a scene, and we talked about this right after, um, that I think, like, best illustrates it, and that Mike argued was, like, a very bad scene. <laughs> or he thought it was, like, the most egregious of I, scenes. I, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. say what I'll talk to. Is, 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 like, there's a scene, it's probably about two-thirds of the way through, where the child, like, you know they're in the concentration camp and the child goes to his father and he's he's like saying how he doesn't think the tank is real and how the other children are telling him like terrible things and how everyone's gonna die and how they're turning you know people into like buttons and um and soap and like the father has to like digest that and like be like he's like listen to yourself like that sounds like a children's tale that's ridiculous like people what people would ever do that? Like, no person does that. And it's like, from the eyes of a child, like, that sounds ridiculous. And to the eyes of the audience now, that sounds ridiculous. What person would turn another human being into soap or buttons? Even us. Like, that is unfathomable in our modern world. But the point is, it's not to that character in that film. And he's trying to, like, frame it all in this, like, broad gesture that the child will understand and not be afraid so i i think this film is brilliant in how it addresses the holocaust you made me rethink this i still i will when we watched this movie you were saying that oh we're watching it from the child's point of view um that's originally how you framed it right i meant we're watching it from the point of view of the audience knowing what's going to happen and like it being put to the child yeah, so yes, that's what that's, that's what di- I meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not how I originally took your words. Okay. Um, so that I disagreed with that because I'm like, no, we we're watching it from the father's point of view, but 
not that there isn't a difference, but there is a like yeah. There there's a difference in the sense that we know yeah we know the horror and we're slowly breaking with the pressure of the father. Right, but I don't think we're watching it from his point of view either. He doesn't know what's going on. He knows better than the child. Yeah, well, but so only we, are, we know what's actually happening. So we're watching as the omniscient god. It's answer. like we right we we know the dramatic irony of the entire film. Mm-hmm. No one else yeah. like in the film does. And that's what makes it terrible, is you're waiting for, you know someone's dying. You know everyone's dying. And it's uplifting that not everyone dies, I guess. Because you, like, like halfway through this film, you're like, I know how this story's going to end. There are some scenes I want to address, if we can. Right. So I, I, so the Sobin Button scene. Yeah. I, I, I. I agree with you for the most part. And I think... I, I I was thinking about this more, too. I think part of it would be a language barrier problem for me. Because my, my whole thing with the soap and button scene is that, like... It seemed like... It, I couldn't tell if we were supposed to laugh at that scene. Because he does this whole thing where he's like... Oh, like, I'm going to take Bartolomo and, like, suds up my hands off. He'd make a good sub. Oh, and he, like, drop, He loses like, his butt. And he's like, oh, oh, there goes Vincenzo. Oh, oh. And it's like... I can't tell if I'm supposed to laugh at this or not. And, like... I can't tell if this is being played for comedy or if it's supposed to be, like, a guy sort of, like, slowly just, like, trying to come up with a way to be, like, I don't know, like, trying to, like, calm his kid down, basically. Um, I think part of that might be because, like, a language barrier. And, and you I, can't really read his tone that way. Right, right. Um, sure. And so, but but it, it's stuff like that that, like, is sort of, like, my big... And I don't think this is a bad movie, but, like, it's stuff like that that, like, makes me not love this movie where it's just, like, the weird... The fact that I can't get a read on it as, like, far as, like... I can't tell if I'm supposed to laugh here or if I'm supposed to... Or if this is just, like... I can't tell if this joke is falling flat because it's a bad joke or if it's falling flat intentionally. Mm. You were going to say go for it. Um, not about that. Yeah, but, but something else. You said um, you had some scenes... I have to say, I said it when we first watched this, too, is I would love to see this movie... I mean, like, not it's not like I want a dub version, but if this movie had been made in English, because there are characters who only speak German and we don't know what they're saying, and yes, we do know it, I mean, we can't understand Italian, but we get the subtitles and we don't get the German subtitles, so it's a similar experience, mm-hmm. but I think it'd be a lot different if we were hearing it, because we would be in that, like, zone of, we could, we wouldn't have to process their words and their tones separately, we could get that together. And then you would get to, like, the outsider's experience of also then just, you know, having the German be this wall of sound that that's the only thing that we are having difficulty experiencing. Um, A scene that I really love, really, really, really love this scene is um, when they first get to the concentration camp, they get put in their, like, cabin or whatever you want to call it, their bunk. And a German officer comes in to explain the rules of the camp. Mm. And the German officer asks, does anyone speak German so that he can translate? And Guido offers to translate so that he can translate to his son the fun rules of the game that he's Mm. creating so his son doesn't get scared. So he does that. And he makes up this whole story. And his son's really entertained, but everyone else is like, what the fuck? So they're all coming up to Guido after... And Guido turns to them and goes, I don't know, don't listen to me, find out the truth and let me know. And then he turns immediately to his son. And, like, that was the first moment of, like, he's truly cracked. Like, this is a father who's like, I need to provide, listen to me, I need to provide, but don't let me, like, like, don't ruin this, like, don't ruin this, but also don't let me die. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I think also he's a relatively um, self-sufficient character throughout the entire first part of the movie where he's just going about life and he's being really jovial and he does all these silly, like again, Charlie Chaplin things. And that's really the first time, even when they're on the way to get into the train, he doesn't seem afraid at all when they're getting on the train. Um, but that's the first time you see this character like be real. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I it's I'm still I don't know. I, I it's just like the the end of this movie it's like it's it's like the liberation of Italy and like they're mm. they're it's basically like all, all the survivors of the camp are like sort of more Americans rock. Right? He's like so Hey little guy <laughs> He goes, Hey boy which <laughs> So two things. One, I noticed that like there are subtitles for the English, even though we're, like, we're English features. Like it's supposed to be English subtitles for an Italian movie, oh, but that guy still had English subtitles. I didn't even notice. I also just the way that guy talks. I I wonder if that was like an Italian guy playing an American guy because <laughs> it didn't seem supernatural. Um, I like. I want to know. Well, I mean, as Italian writers, maybe they wrote them very comically. You know. Yeah, it's um, like if cartoonishly we, that could be. No, his name was Aaron Craig, so he probably was an Italian. Um, but <laughs> anyway, um, but but and so it's like, and and so the whole thing is like, ah, oh, the kid's like, oh my god, like the tank, it was true, like maybe I was telling the truth. And he, um, they bring him up on the tank, and they're riding past these um, liberated the, the liberated prisoners, and um, they're looking for his mom, and like the score to me does not match what like. It's super happy. It's the like war very, is the but like freed. yes, but like I'm thinking of like like the end of Schindler's List, which is a very different movie. I'm not trying to like compare apples to oranges, right? But the end of Schindler's List, where like everybody safely gets on the train and leaves, is still devastating, and it's still like it's still like it's still like this is like we made it free, but so many other people didn't, and all this stuff, and that I, it's just weird to me. To go from like, because if you if you're in a concentration camp and you just get freed, you're you're like, you're not like all of a sudden super. I mean, you're happy, you're relieved, but you're not all of a sudden like. I mean, it's like, like it, it's like a it's like a pyrrhic victory. But the vo- the focal point of the film has shifted at that point because the father has died, um, off screen, and. The child is now the focal point, and so like the, I, I do think the like the tune changes when that changes. Is it's like the child is a survivor, and the child now thinks he's won this tank, and that he's yada yada, and you know, oh, they were afraid the Americans are there; they're going to be okay. Um, so I, get I don't, that. I don't mind that it's like a, because in the child's mind, this is like the greatest thing that's ever happened, mm-hmm. and you know it's not once yeah. again, but. And for that reason, I think it would be stronger if it was a different music choice. Um, but also, the forever part of the entire movie is the very last scene when he's reunited with his mom, and the voiceover of, like, grown... Josue. comes on, he's like, this is the sacrifice my father made. Where did that come from? The voiceover? Yeah. The movie starts with a voiceover, too. Did it really? Where he's like, this is a story, and it's hard to tell, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, oh, yeah. well, like, never mind. I <laughs> um, <laughs> just, like, put that in there. Yeah. So, it's interesting, because this movie is was inspired by, it's not, like, based, like directly adapted from, but it's inspired by 
um, Roberto Benigni read a book called In the End I Beat Hitler, which was written by um, an Italian Jew who was in a concentration camp, and it was like a darkly humorous account of his time there. Um, and also, his father served in the Italian army after Italy switched sides, but was captured and put in like a German work camp. And like whenever he was asked about it by his kids, he'd be like, oh, it was nothing, and he'd try to like play it off as just like this thing he did. Um, so I, I get it, it's just like a, an interesting way to like a different way to cope with tragedy. Um, it just kind of falls flat for me. I think it's a unique and interesting way that I don't think a lot of art copes with tragedy in this way. I, I think it's an interesting. It's I, it's like I said earlier. We've all seen the Holocaust film, yeah, like a thousand times. Right, right. This is a new way to look at it that offers its own emotional impact that's different. Yeah. And I think it does it very, very well. I, a, a lot of people agree with you, so... Yeah, yeah. I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is weirdly the, the, the movie that, like, would have won on Letterboxd. Or at least last I checked. Yeah. I fucked that up before, so... <laughs> I, um, I, I think it's interesting that, like, of all the films we've watched, this appears to be the one that you and I have the biggest, like, met, mismatch on. I was kind of... Su- yeah, I was sort of surprised you liked it as much as you did. Um, it's because I'm woke. I, I guess so. Um, anyway, <laughs> this movie did pretty good on Oscar night. It was nominated for Best Editing. It won Best Dramatic Score, so apparently they disagree with us about the genre and the music. Um, it won Best Foreign Language Film. was nominated for Original Screenplay. Roberto Benigni won Best Actor. And, like, jumped over the audience yeah, to get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he, he jumped on like he trees. like scrambled over. He was he's very cool excited. Yeah. See, so okay, he's such a what you said. Cool guy. My other thing, I I don't always love movies where they try to convince you that the main character is the most charming and funny guy in the oh, world. Oh yeah, no. and they definitely do that in this movie. And it's 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 but it's the Mike Levito biopic, Mike. I know. <laughs> well, I'll have to make an exception then. But um, so that I was like, yeah, I don't. I totally wouldn't be into it if he was after me, but I'm not Dora, <laughs> so it's whatever. Anyway, um, to follow him. he was also nominated for Best Director and, of course, was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. That's what's next. It was directed by Steven Spielberg. Written, Who? Ever hear of him? Written by Robert Rodot. Uh, starring Tom Hanks, Edward Burns, Matt Damon, Tom Sizemore... Barry Pepper, Vin Diesel, Aaron Goldberg. Vin Diesel? Yeah, he's the guy that dies. He's uh, Caparzo, <laughs> the Italian He's guy. the first member that dies. Um, yeah. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, movie about basically the Allied invasion of Europe. Um, and what happens is, is it turns out that four, five? There are four three. sons. Three of them died. Yeah, so four members of the Ryan family from somewhere in Iowa... Um, there are four of them, all are serving, three of them die, and... Like, the U.S. military decides, yeah. like, they're going to save the fourth one who has been lost somewhere over Nazi-occupied France, and, like, send him home to his mother, who has sacrificed three sons for their cause. Yeah, so they get the squad led by Tom Hanks, so get him, and it's them going across France trying to find this guy... And that's it without spoiling anything. 
But it starts with like with, with the most amazing yeah. scene yeah, of D Day. The very famous um and yeah. The the D Day scene, which uh, I was reading apparently like it wasn't storyboarded at all. Like Steven Spiel like because usually it's like they're like we know what the shots are gonna look like. But Steven Spielberg was like, nah, I'm just gonna like have them do all this stuff and then decide where I wanna like go. Which is crazy mm-hmm. considering how much goes on. He's a madman. But is it is a like very um it's just like it's it's I say terrible, but I mean that in a good way, right? It's like it is it just the ultimate sort of like destruction of the human body, like when faced with machinery mm-hmm. is basically what it was. I mean, like, the guy who's just, like, carrying his arm, like, uh, just the people who don't even, like, make it out of the transport. Um, it's horrifying to think that, I mean, like, all, there are all the people who, people just, yeah, did, people didn't even make it off the transport, and everyone else is just like, well, I still gotta do this. Yeah. And the idea that you know you're running to your death. Yeah. It's like there can't be. Maybe you have drive, but there can't be belief in your mind that you're gonna make it out. Yeah, that's wild. Americans sacrificed the most on D-Day. True. Um, this was your first time seeing this movie, Kathleen. Yes. It was. What were your overall thoughts? Overall thoughts, I liked it. Um, Tom Hanks. Who? What's not to like? Honestly, yeah. um, he thick. I like. This was a movie that. I heard of when I was young and really wanted to see just because everyone said it was so like dark and so gory and I was like how far can you really take that I want to know because I was a weird fucking child (laughs) (laughs) again I watched I did not mention this a minute ago but we watched Life is Beautiful I was deeply disturbed by the movie and then I went and had a dream about my high school crush asking me out so what goes on in my brain I don't know but um Anyway, so Did it was you say I, yes. Of course, I said yes. Jeez. <laughs> okay. um, so I, I really, really liked it, and I liked, um, I liked how it it personified the war because I think the funny thing is that like you were saying like the least the the mission is like not realistic at all, but I like that it gave people like me who have trouble focusing on history because it's not personal looks like strategy a chance to like you got to Bilbo Baggins and you got to like transverse all of these lands and stuff and process things at a different speed plus the acting is incredible I think it's interesting because the first scene the D-Day scene is like just shocking with the gore and then it kind of just you were like oh this is what's up and then it's it's not as I mean it's still awful but it's just like you would expect it the this is random, but the D-Day scene, the one out of all the destruction that happens in the scene, the one thing that stood out was a man's wearing a helmet, and he gets shot right in the center of the head, and he's, like, in shock, and he, like, takes off his helmet to stare at it, and as he's staring at it, he gets shot again. Mm. And I was like, that's so scary. Um, but yeah, it, overall, I really, really like this. I think it's interesting morally also, or thematically, but I think we will discuss that roundtable style. Um, so I will pass it along. This is a great movie. I've seen it. This is probably like my fourth or fifth time seeing it. It's like one of my father's favorite movies because all fathers love this movie. That is true. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is a great movie. Um, I mean, like, the D-Day sequence alone, I kind of think 
makes this movie. It's almost irrelevant after that. Yeah, it's yeah. like that amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just like incredible. And then, yeah, I think how it deals with like war as the film progresses is like oddly realistic in that it's like not it's it's neither clean cut nor like brutal mm-hmm. it's there is like a a mixture of sort of like i think mike said this right after like there's an there's a comedy to some parts that you wouldn't expect but you would yeah. be like oh that makes sense mm-hmm. um um like i don't have a yeah it just like it shows you how like dumb working yeah especially yeah, yeah. in like the last battle scene where it's like there's like pretty like close like hand-to-hand combat with the germans and it's like they come through in this tank and one of them pops out pops out out of the tank and then like an american just like shoots him like right point blank um and the other one is like these two guys are shooting at each other and they run out of bolts they start throwing their helmet at each other like it it's just like oh this is just like it I, what, I, what I what I think is it this movie kind of does and like why it's so why why it is like saying you know a big deal is I feel like for a long time this is like my very amateur film critic historian theory is that for a long time you had in like the late sixties and the seventies and the eighties you had a lot of movies about Vietnam I'm sure that movie was like this is pointless like we're just sending these kids into a meat grinder and there's like no point um, and like in like like the forties fifties and like early 60s it was like world war ii was the good war um you know there was we we saved the world and there's honor in that blah 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 whereas like saving private ryan is kind of like yeah this was like for a noble cause um but it was still really brutal and like the people like on the ground were didn't really necessarily care like they cared but like at the same time they were just like they were dealing with like incompetence in the upper ranks right they were dealing with like being like they're set, like the whole thing is like they hate this mission right mm-hmm. like they're like they're like we're gonna kill Ryan when we find him because like our guys are dying on our way yeah. there um it 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 it, it, it it's it, it's able to highlight like World War Two like we won and that's good and um it was good that we fought World War Two but the same that doesn't like make war that doesn't soften like what war is yeah and shouldn't um there is a cost yeah there is even a cost. saving one man took like the lives of like by the end of the film like 10 plus yeah like everyone in that town yeah yeah and like it it it, it, it um it sort of actually tries to hammer some of the cost thing too um Lars's cat just bit Kathleen's foot um <laughs> Because uh, Tom, as Tom Hanks dies at the end, and, and Matt Damon's Private Ryan is like, oh no, um, that, that was very disrespectful. But um, Tom Hanks goes like, "Earn this." Those like his last words, and then the last scene is is uh, Private Ryan as an old man at the graveyard in France, um, and is. My family's here with yeah. me today. <laughs> and his wife comes up to him and he's like, tell me I've lived a good Pretty. life. Um, if I have one criticism in this movie, it's that, like, the non... The parts that basically aren't in France are maybe a little overdone. The, like, one minute of them. Yeah, but, it, like... It is I just, it's very corny. I just feel, I mean, yeah. Like, flashes to the American flag. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, 
Wow. But it's, it's effective. But, like, even the yeah. beginning when it's, like, Brian Cranston, who's in this movie, oh, yeah. bringing, bringing, like, the news that, like, the Ryan boys have died to George Marshall, um, it's, like, you can barely hear what they're saying over, like, the blaring of a bugle. Like, it's just, it's a lot. The score's a little heavy-handed. But, like, it makes up for that and, like, the freneticism of its direction and just how... It's, like, almost guilty to be, like, oh, I love those battle scenes. But it's, like, those battle scenes are amazing. They're yeah. awesome. like They're truly a, a feat of art. They're just they're just so good. Like, they're just so well choreographed. And it's, like, who thinks of that? Uh, I say, who thinks of that many ways to kill a person? Right. I don't want to know. Yeah. But it's, it's, like, it's really interesting. And then I think... It brings up a lot of good questions, like, why are you here? Mm. Um, here being war. Um, like, Tom Hanks's character, he's like, I'm getting Ryan because I was told to get Ryan, and if I get Ryan, I get to go home, mm-hmm. and I get to see my wife. And then once he meets Ryan, that kind of changes, because Ryan's like, well, you know, you're trying to take me home, but I was told that I need to stay here. Yeah. And he's like my brothers die for this, why do I get to be the one who's saved? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my, cut, like, my, whatever people are here fighting for this. Um, so you, you do a lot of thinking, because you would think that he's so, he, like, who wouldn't be relieved to get out of there? Yeah. But he's like, no, why would I mm-hmm. do Why that? do I get special treatment? Why do I get special treatment? Yeah. I, I like this role for Tom Hanks, because I feel like Tom Hanks' appeal is that he's like, the jewel, like not, you know, he's the affable everyman. Yeah. Like everyone wants Tom Hanks to be their dad, but like, I liked this role for him because he's difficult, right? Yeah. He's kind of gruff. All the things that he gives, like nothing away from his personal life initially, and he's like, like the one. There's that scene where it's like they try to take like a machine gun nest, and that leads to the famous scene of the German prisoner. Mm-hmm. But it's like before then, like they're trying to like discuss like what their strategy of like taking it, and then someone's like, well. Maybe we should blah blah blah. And he just goes, well, maybe you should shut up, which is just such like an on un Tom Hanks thing to say. But like, he's so great. I think he's he so Tom great. Hanks might be my favorite actor. I think so, and I never appreciated it until we started watching these movies. And mm. I'm like, he's so Apollo thirteen. Yeah. Oh, um, I love Tom Hanks so much. He's great. So great. German prisoner though what a dick yeah what a dick yeah yeah um scene that I really thought was interesting was during that final battle and things just like go crazy and people start throwing their helmets at each other and then there's in a one of the houses or buildings there's like a knife fight Mm -hmm. and this this the guy who was supposed to be bringing ammunition to everyone yeah he um, he's like, oh, I need to go up and help this guy, but he's so scared. Mm-hmm. He wasn't doing a great job. I mean, I don't blame him, but he wasn't doing a great job. Mm-hmm. And he's like, a, what is he initially? He's like he's, a he's map a, maker, he's a, right? He's a uh, he's, yeah, he's like a map maker. He's a translator. Yeah. yeah. So he really didn't have a place yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but his fellow American is killed, mm-hmm. and the amazing thing is that the um, as he's a German soldier. Is that's that's the guy. that's the guess so that's, yeah, that's, that's the prisoner. Yeah. The prisoner like just walks past him. Yeah. Just yeah. So the the famous scene is that like um, a German kills their medic. Um, they're gonna kill the German even though he surrendered, and then they're convinced to let him go. And then he ends up coming with the 
group of German soldiers who end up... Well, they let him yeah. go under the condition that he turns himself into the yeah. first... The Allies, yeah. Uh, Allied group he sees. Which he doesn't do. Uh, He's no. a big dick. He, he, he gets this, though. Yeah. Um, this is the internet's favorite. It this, is? Yeah, Letterboxd likes this one the best. Okay, so I'll, I'll change my list then. Um... <laughs> Yeah, I think a lot, I think a lot of people like this movie. Yeah, um, it's a great one. Yeah, it uh, one one fun fact because I didn't read the Wikipedia pages for all these movies, so I am an expert. Um, but the cinematographer took off like the protective lenses and all the cameras because that's how they filmed like newsreels, um, mm. and so that's why the color is kind of like desaturated in this movie. And that's and then that's, I love the colors in this movie. And it's, they also did something where like the movements are like very crisp. Um, and it's because they did something to make it look like a newsreel. Interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, it was nominated for best, uh, one best editing, nominated for makeup, one cinematography, nominated for art direction, one for sound, one for sound ed- effects editing, nominated for dramatic score, uh, nominated for original screenplay, nominated for best actor Tom Hanks, yeah, Steven Spielberg won for best director, and it was nominated for best picture. What, beat it? Oh, well, it's the next movie, which would be Shakespeare in Love. Uh, directed by John Madden, not the football coach. Written by Mark Norman and Tom Stoppard. Starring Gwyneth Paltrow, Joseph Fiennes, Jeffrey Rush, Colin Firth, Ben Affleck, and Judy Dench. Um, this is a movie about Shakespeare, and he's working for Jeffrey Rush, and Jeffrey Rush has a theater that's kind of like on the brink of some financial ruin. Um, and he needs him to write a hit, and he wants him to write this comedy called Ethel and the Pirate's Daughter. And Shakespeare's kind of like losing his muse. Um, and he ends up meeting Gwyneth Paltrow, who's this like heiress, basically, this wealthy woman, um, and like pseudo royalty. And uh, he falls in love with her, and their love affair ends up inspiring Romeo and Juliet, and she is also disguised as a man to play. A character in what ends up becoming Romeo and Juliet. She's going to play Romeo, right? Yeah. She was, yeah, initially going to play Romeo. And she is also, though, engaged to Colin Firth, who really hates William Shakespeare because he's, you know. A fuck boy. Well, sleeping with his betrothed. Um, even though, like, you know, this is not a healthy relationship no, um, between Colin Firth and Gwyneth Paltrow. Really not a relationship at all. It's an arranged. Yes, arranged marriage. Um, He's going to take her to Virginia, a failed colony. Yes. Which, Virginia did not exist at this time in real life. But What? Yes, it, what? No. What do you mean it didn't exist? In 1593? I mean, like, there was no colony. Jamestown was like 1602. But they knew of Virginia. They knew of the New World. It wasn't called Virginia. What? Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. But... But wasn't it 1490? Colony of Virginia was founded in 1607. <laughs> yeah, but when was it, like, called that? 1607. Okay. So, Colony... Because it has to be... When did Elizabeth come to power? I just asked. Yeah, when did Elizabeth come to power? Uh, I know when she died. She died in 1603, and I know that because there's a comic called 1602. Um, and she dies in it. Uh... And, and, and Virginia was founded when? 16... Oh, seven. Yeah. Seven. So it had to be, it was named for the Virgin Queen, was it not? It was. So you would think it would make sense to be named after her. Yes. Yeah. She, uh, uh, so this movie's lying to me well, about everything. You're not going to believe it. There are a lot of historical accuracies. No, no, I, 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 <laughs> this movie is not intended even to be. No, real. it's not. Elizabeth 
came to power in 1558. Okay. Um, what what do we think of Shakespeare in life? I I honestly don't have a ton to say about this one. It was I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like my kind of film, but like it it did not surprise me that I liked it as much as Elizabeth. But I like I liked it. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is nice. Um. This is going to sound kind of weird. I don't know that I loved the acting. <laughs> oh. Because I kind of feel like Gwyneth Paltrow and less hot Ray Fiennes. <laughs> Joseph Fiennes. Thank you. Um, we're like... I don't understand why Rafe's name is Rafe, but his brother's name is Joseph. Those rich English families, man. What? Weird. Um... They, of all the, like, main actors of the films we've mentioned so far, they did it the least for me. I thought Joseph Fiennes was pretty good. I don't know. I Maybe I just don't love him. That could be. I, like, like, I thought they were fine. I just, I feel like it was a very, like... And I realized the irony in the statement. They came off very theatrical, <laughs> which was intended, obviously. Yeah. It's just not an acting style I enjoy very much. That's sure. Um, this movie is cute. Yes. It is. Yeah. And that's really all I have to say about it. And I don't, I don't think it matches any of the other movies we saw this year. Uh, I don't think it's a bad movie. I enjoyed watching it. But again, it was just like a romantic comedy. And it was... I mean, it was it was clever because, you know, they had scenes where you could see the direct inspiration mm-hmm. for Shakespeare in Love. Like, they're lying in bed talking about, um, no, that's the nightingale. It's not the whatever lark or whatever wakes you <laughs> up in the morning like this is the one line from Romeo and Juliet I actually remembered in, mm-hmm. from high school and so you see how like their actual romance plays into the movie into the into the play which is really creative it is they even have a balcony scene even have a balcony scene and that's like a very like I don't want to say a fan fiction-y thing but it's something it that, is no it absolutely it is. is but it's like <laughs> something that like a high school yeah a high school creative writer would do mm. which is like cute because it's kind of this naive storyline where you're not going to get bogged down with things you're going to really let your imagination take this and run with it that being said I just don't it was acted like a romantic comedy where everything mm. was like not over the top but everything was like you know Shakespeare was this fit young thing it was just like bounding around mm. and he was like I mean I have seen portraits of Shakespeare Shakespeare <laughs> did not look like he Joseph Fine. he not thick he not thick <laughs> he slick you know he didn't he look like up. a sexy pa- pirate which is what <laughs> Joseph Fine looked like and it was just like I like and this is not anything against the movie it's just I don't understand why it was it was a good movie but I don't think it was like Compared to everything else that was nominated, it wasn't a best picture. Well, it was just like a real good movie. Um, yeah, so what I liked about this movie, and it did surprise me because She's Written Love has this reputation of like, it's the movie that stole Saving Private Ryan's Oscar. And we can talk about how what we think should have won later, but um, it has that reputation, and I certainly get that. But I do think it's still a good movie. 
And what I think it does, and what, so to one thing I think it does is that like it really captures the feeling of just having this like really hot love affair, mm. like the way that like the camera itself is like swept off his feet mm. while they're doing like the practicing the acting scenes where he's basically transcribing his sort of like love poems to Gwyneth Paltrow, right? Um, and so that from like a production standpoint, I was pretty impressed with it, like costuming and the way the camera looked and all that. Um, and I think the reason, there, I think way one of the reason why it won was it was actually considered one of, like, one of Harvey Weinstein's first like campaigning successes. So, like many things bad in this world, this winning is kind of came from Harvey Weinstein. Um, and also, it's about the like joy of art, and it's about the importance of art. And like this whole movie is about people suffering for their art, about like you know, risking imprisonment so that the show must go on. It's a very theater kid kind of, like, concept. Uh, and if you consider yeah. the Academy as, like, mostly theater kids because it's a lot of actors, like, I feel like that's kind of where the appeal is. But I think it does that really well, right? It's like, I read this in my Letterboxd review, it's like, even if you get your heart broken, you still have the stage and the page. It's like, you'll, you'll still have this sort of... Woke. Right? You'll still have these grand forms of expression, you can find meaning through that. As... Someone who fancies themselves a writer, <laughs> who's writing basically revolves around heartbreak. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, I do like thinking of it more in the frame of, of of not a practical story, but a story told through that the throes of passion of oh, yeah, love. Yeah. There, I like that better. Um, when you said the like the grand like let the show like the show must go yeah. on, reminded me of the movie that came out this past year called The Greatest Showman, which is all about like. <laughs> Being un- like expression, mm. being unique, and it's like rah rah, we're all special snowflakes. Um, I took myself to see that movie, um, but <laughs> I did. And now, like that's what it felt like to me was just this like, to a certain degree, this like rah rah, art is art, and it just <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's all I had to say. It just reminded me of the Greatest Showman when he said that, um, but there's really no connection there. It's just the. Like, we're not going to let the man take us down. Yeah, yeah. And so he said it was fan fiction. There is just, like, apparently, like, an industry of, like, people writing William Shakespeare into things. Like, William Shakespeare is a detective. Like, William Shakespeare is, like, a a superhero, basically, right? Where it's just, like, a lot of just really bored English majors. Um, I bet it gets weird. Oh, I bet it gets really weird. I mean, like, this, yeah. This movie is just... Wink. It's, it's William Shakespeare slash fiction, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, I... Yeah, but I, I did still think it was pretty good. Um, I don't think it should have won. I also don't like Gwyneth Paltrow, but... I, I see, know. I... I didn't mind her in this movie. I don't mind her as an actress. I just... As a person, she's very annoying. You know, her skincare brand... It's starting to... Goop. Well, Goop is her lifestyle brand. Yeah. Um, Juice Beauty is her skincare brand. It is the predecessor to Group. Mm-hmm. They are now starting to sponsor podcasts. Yes. Goopy scoop de goop. Someone who's a huge skincare junkie, specifically Green Beauty, which is her line. This is totally off topic. I dislike their products quite a bit, um, so do not recommend. And for that reason, no, nah, I just don't like Gwyneth Paltrow. But no offense, Gwyneth, I'm sure you're lovely. Um, uh, yeah. 
I'm sure you're a person. She named her kid Apple. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. You didn't know that? Apple? Yeah. Her and Chris Martin of Coldplay's kid's name is Apple. <laughs> Apple. Yeah. That's awesome. She also... She's also said some like, weird tone-deaf stuff before. She's she's odd. She yeah. is odd. I, I think she's just very sheltered. Yeah. Um, anyway. Have you seen her lifestyle, then? Yeah. Um, this movie was nominated for Best Editing, one costume design, nominated for makeup, cinematography, one art direction, nominated for sound, musical or comedy score, one original screenplay, Judy Dench, who's in this movie for like 10 minutes, one Best Supporting Actress, um, Jeffrey Rush was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Gwyneth Paltrow was nominated for one Best Supporting, yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow won Best Actress, mm. John Mann was nominated for Director and it won Best Picture. Uh, last movie, everyone's favorite movie from this year, The Thin Red Line, directed by Terrence Malick. Uh, Go uh, on. <laughs> screenplay by Terrence Malick, based on a novel called The Thin Red Line by James Jones, uh, starring Sean Penn, Adrian Brody, Jim Caviezel, Ben Chaplin, George Clooney, John Cusack, Woody Harrelson, Elias Codius, Nick Nolte, John C. Reilly, John Travolta. This was a movie... Kathleen, we'll start with you because you are not holding a bowl of nuts right it's now. It's a tub of nuts. It's a tub, Michael. A tub of nuts, I apologize. Um, this movie, <laughs> I will admit, I was lost through a lot of it. The disclaimer I give, I think, every podcast is that I have a lot of trouble following plots, which is why I like historical movies because they take, yes, there's a lot of plot, but I can follow the plot through the characters. Um... I didn't connect with any of the characters in this movie, so that was really hard. This was also... Where were they in that during this movie? They were uh, Guadalcanal. Where is that? That is near Australia. So It's an island. This is... Pacific uh, Theater. Yeah, the Pacific Theater. During World War II. During World War II. They're fighting the Japanese. I didn't explain this movie at all. Because there's no plot to explain, but basically yeah. it takes place during the Guadalcanal campaign. Americans trying to take the island from the Japanese. Anyway, go okay. on. So I will preface my thoughts and then I will say my thoughts. Thought number one, which I already said, was that I have trouble following plots. Thought number two is that this is a part of World War II that I am very, very unfamiliar with. Because I feel like I have always been taught about European stuff. Um, so I went into it thinking that I was going to be able to follow along just from my backstory or back my previous knowledge of World War II. I was not at all. They were swimming in these gorgeous pools and there were people in one class, and I was like, this sucks, this is not France. <laughs> um, so that I will preface with that. The rest of the movie, I think, was a beautiful art piece. Yeah. I didn't find it to be an engaging movie. I think that the book, while perhaps not something I would read, it's probably very, very beautiful. And I see how they wanted to translate all of its literary beauty into this movie, and I think that they did that, but I don't... I felt lost. I felt there. I was watching this for no point. I... I... just didn't really dislike it, but I didn't like it either. To kind of expand on that, this movie is weird because... Um, there's a lot of voiceover yeah. for multiple characters... What? Right? It was multiple characters. It was, yes. I didn't know who I was supposed to be, like, looking at half the time. So, it's interesting. So, uh, I do on. have more thoughts on this, but we, I will let you finish your thought and then... 
question. Uh, no, there are fun facts I can save till the end. Okay. Um, I will say, though, I think that this was, out of the three World War II movies we watched, this was the one that made war, the reality of war, this, one of the starkest. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, we talked about the D-Day scene from Second Private Ryan, um, and yeah, the, obviously that was just like men walking straight into their death. Um, I think this one was more like what happens when you're not in those grand moments when you're yeah. in the when you're in the plane where nobody's really paying attention, mm-hmm. and a lot of it was them just like lying in the grass, being like, "Well, I hope I don't get shot now," mm-hmm. and them having to be like, "My friend," or like my my friend, but like one of my team members, what do you call them, fellow soldiers, mm-hmm. is shot over there. I need to go save him, or I need to give him morphine so he can die in relative peace. And the idea of do I risk myself to do this, like. There was just a lot of the movie was just the sound of gunfire and people trying to just desperately figure things out. And I think that was a really true... I've never been to war, but it seems like the most, like... Especially because, like... And I think because I didn't know what was going on. I know what DJ is. I know what the European Mm -hmm. front looked like. But I was just like, I bet they didn't know what was going on like when they were doing this. Like, they really just didn't know what to do. Which is kind of what I felt like watching it. Mm -hmm. Um... And also, this is just a fun aside. You know when you watch superhero movies and someone's being shot at, and you're like, they can't miss you that many times. Like you're just mm. getting lucky. It's like no, like these characters too <laughs> are getting missed. And like maybe guns aren't that accurate. I don't know. I thought that was just funny. Okay. Yeah. What, what I do think is interesting about this movie is that yeah, it doesn't treat World War II like the good war, right? Like yeah. it just war is war and just another meat grinder and just like the the whole thing of this movie is like why like whose idea was war is like basically like what um one of the voiceovers says like who who unleashed this great whatever on on this like because it's like a contrast where he's like who unleashed this like terrible thing was this beauty like because it, it there's lots of natural shot, shots of the nature on mm-hmm. Guadalcanal even though this was actually shot in Australia but um so it's a pretty like beautiful stuff you see but also it's contrasted with war blowing it all up that's super pretty you haven't spoken yet Lars it's funny you mentioned that. So I gotta be honest, uh, I was working on a bug in the website and I paid literally zero attention to this entire movie, except I remember George Clooney showing up for two minutes at the very end. Yeah. Which I actually think is the best part of the movie. Because oh, thank God. It, it's, it's when George Clooney is saying stuff and Sean Penn's voiceover is going, lies. And then George Clooney will say something and go, more lies. And I was like, lies I'm complicit in. And I actually thought that was pretty cleverly put together. But, like, there are some interesting, like, battle scenes, actually, that are pretty good. Um, it's just an incredibly hard movie to follow. Yeah, um, I didn't... I, I had a really hard time just knowing who was who. Yeah. Um, I don't... It reminded me a lot of Apocalypse Now. You know what it... I don't know. So, yeah, and that's what I think is weird, because I feel like the Pacific Theater is generally considered kind of, like... Hellish. Yeah, hellish, yeah. because you were just in, like, these places with, like, really volatile weather, and, like, you know, the, the tactics of the Japanese army were, um, not that the Germans Un- were nice, orthodox. but, yeah, were, like, particularly hardcore, and that kind of caused the American soldiers to, like, you know, respond in kind. And it was longer. And it was longer. We were there for four years. And just, like, harder. Because, like, you weren't marching through cities on, like, a contiguous... You weren't marching through contiguous countries. You were 
literally hopping island to island where there wasn't like a bunch of infrastructure to like go off of, right? You had to like you like there's a lot of this movies literally just hiding in tall grass, trying to get to the top of the hill mm-hmm. and hoping you don't get cut down by And we didn't really have allies. Yeah. In the Pacific. Yeah. What the hell, Australia? Pull your own way. <laughs> we were a little baby country. <laughs> I mean, the UK was pretty busy in, like, Burma and India. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought of something. Oh, what was that? Oh, first of all, Lars mentioned a bug in the website. There is a website coming. Yes. Um, stay tuned. We're yeah. not going to tell you what it is because it's not ready yet. We don't want you to go there. <laughs> but stay tuned. Back to the movie. And what it reminded me of is um, that series of short stories. The things they carry. The things they say carry. Oh, yeah. Which is great. It's fantastic. And this is why I'm saying, I I think as a novel, this would be really interesting and engaging. And all the darkness, all of that voice over like lives, like that kind of thing, would be really beautiful to see written. And I don't think it didn't. It's not that it didn't carry over to the film. I just don't think it was easy to follow or easy yeah. to get engaged with. Mm-hmm. Um was it adapted? So yeah, it's adapted from a novel. Yeah. yeah. Based on what I read, it may not be an incredibly faithful adaption. Hmm. And it sounds like Terrence Malick can get a little crazy sometimes. Ooga um, ooga. So basically, Terrence Malick's director. Um, were we done saying what you guys say? Yes. Okay. Um, his director, and he, you know, he he was famous for making sort of like lyrical quote unquote movies, which is like movies that like are kind of hard to get. Um, and some people think it's kind of like silly and pretentious, but um, so apparently, um, as they were making this movie, he would not, and he would like edit it, so he wouldn't watch dailies, which is like you know what you film during the day. He wouldn't watch those, and as he was editing this movie, he wasn't, like, he didn't have the sound on. He was blasting Green Day while he was editing this album, and uh, like would actually like look for like look for spots of dialogue and, like, either replace them with music or voiceover. Like, he was, like, hunting for dialogue to just, like, get rid of it and feel like having dialogue. And apparently, like, Adrian Brody, like, apparently, so the first cut of this movie is apparently like five hours long. It's a three-hour-long movie. And, and there are, like, three actors who are just com- cut out completely. Like, Mickey Rourke was supposed to be in this movie. He's not in it at all. And then Adrian Brody, I guess when they were making it, like, by his understanding, he was, like, the lead of the movie and, like, the integral part of the movie. And he has literally, like, two lines in this movie. And he did not know that until he went to the premiere of this movie. Jesus. Um, and he even brought his parents. He was like, hey, mom and dad, come see me star in this movie. Um, oh, my God. So. That really sucks. Yeah. This movie, um, kind of like Apocalypse Now. Some people say the making of Apocalypse Now is more interesting than the movie itself. Um. This movie is just, like, the vision of one guy and his just musings on war, I feel like, and it's ponderous, and, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I like, you know, I don't think it's, it's not, I don't want to go, it's like, you know, there's clear talent on display, but it is not a easily watchable movie. It's and not digestible at all. No. Yeah. And our, like the only thing I'd say is actually pretty bad is like the whole thing where this guy is like talking about his wife and he gets a Dear John letter. Yeah. I thought that was just like, it just felt kind of, just didn't fit with everything else. I didn't care. Yeah, I didn't care either. Dear John's a great movie though. 
Big Nicholas Sparks fan? I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen the last song? No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With Miley Cyrus. With Miley Cyrus. Yes. <laughs> that movie was not nominated for anything, but The Thin Red Line was nominated for editing, cinematography, sound, dramatic score, adapted screenplay, Terrence Malick, the best director, and picture. It won nothing. It won nothing. Huh. Um, sad, sad yeah. failure. Okay. So, um, it's now 1999. Yes. Yes, it is. If you're going the Academy, you have watched Elizabeth, Life is Beautiful, Saving Private Ryan, Shakespeare in Love, and The Thin Red Line. What movie gets your vote for Best Picture? We'll start with Lars. <laughs> That's me. Whew! <laughs> okay. Ba-ba-ba-boom! <laughs> I think it's Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> okay. I, I think I think gets it. I I was tempted during my passionate defense of Life Is Beautiful to be like, but you know what was also great. Um, but like comprehensively and like just because it like holds up every single time without failure, like Saving Private Saving Private Ryan is the only film I would give like five stars for this year. Life. Is beautiful. Life is beautiful. I would give four point five. Interesting. Okay. But I think Saving Private Ryan is the most. It is the popular choice, but that doesn't mean it's the wrong choice. Well, it's a popular choice for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Kathleen, you go first. Mine's also Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. It's just it is the. It's the one that's the most pervasive, I think, in our like everyday life. Um... It's just, it's, I don't really feel like I need to justify it. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's been, like, dissected so many times right. over why this film should have won. Do, like, do not get me wrong, there's, like, a strong slate this year. I think mm-hmm. Elizabeth is great, Life is Beautiful is great, um, Shakespeare in Love is, is good, like, I see, I I get it. And the third line's a movie. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Barely, kind of, but yeah, it's a movie. Well, I, I feel like we haven't had a, like a slate of films this strong in a few yeah, years it's now. definitely the best in a while. Yeah. Like, thank, thank God we got to this year, because the last two years were... Rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I really have nothing else to add. It's just... Again, it's Steven Spielberg, Tom Hanks. It's like... If you see one World War II movie in your life, you see that one. Yeah. It's it's the best one. It's it's great. It's everything. It's it's the horror of war, it's the it's the it's the the, the solemnness of, of victory. It's it's all good. I'm really between two. Yeah. Can you guess what they are? Elizabeth, Elizabeth. and Saving Private Ryan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, mm, I think I'm going to give it to Saving Private Ryan, but I really loved Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Saving Private Ryan, I like. I was just captivated by Elizabeth. The second that the movie ended, there's a sequel, Elizabeth: The Golden Age. Mm-hmm. I have yet to watch, but I really want to. But the second that movie ended, I was like, let's put it on. Like, I want to see more. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are certain things that I don't usually pay attention to, like 
sound editing, that kind of thing, that I would give to Saving Private Ryan that I wouldn't. I would give editing to Elizabeth. But, like, oh, yeah. the sat, like sound mixing, I don't really know what that stuff is, <laughs> but, like, sound sound mixing, like, that kind of thing, that, like, mm. the, the little tiny things um, that just add a little oomph to the movie that you don't really necessarily pay attention to, I... Like, literally, those two movies are so equal, in my view. Saving Private Ryan gets a few knocks off just because I don't like the... I find the beginning and ending thing in, mm. in the cemetery cheesy. I think it's necessary for the movie, but I think it's cheesy. Um, but it's, like, the little things like the sound and the cinematography and the color. I'm a huge color, as we know, person. Mm. The, juxtap- the juxtaposition between the opening and ending, which is, like, very vibrant and full of life, and everything in the middle, which is that, like, very subdued kind of thing. Um, those little kind of things just elevate it. I'm sorry, Elizabeth. I love you so much. Um, but yes. I think I'm gonna go with Save a Ride. Okay. Um, any movies that we think should have been nominated this year? Yes! yes. That came out. Yes! Which one's last? Yes! Uh, the Truman Show should have been nominated this year. It was nominated for Best Director. Good. Good. It should have been nominated for Best Picture, for sure. Um, yep. I'm not sure I would advocate for it to be nominated, but Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I feel like, is one a lot of people would say should have been nominated for this year. Um, the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap. <laughs> Why was that oh not nominated? God. Why was that What's nominated? wrong with the Academy? That was amazing. <laughs> Did that ever get a theatrical release? Or was yeah. that... Whoa! Yes. I don't know. Are you a hater? I wasn't going to the theaters in 1998. I was four. I saw it on Disney Channel first. Um, <laughs> if, 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 if the Academy had best popular film. Yeah, okay. Boo. Where, where um... And I feel like you would say this one if I don't. So Rushmore, yeah, yeah, Rushmore. <gasps> what a movie! So Rushmore for sure. I I love Rushmore. Um, Spice World. I still think Rushmore is probably Wes Anderson's best movie. Um, the Big Lebowski. I'm not sure I'd nominate it. It's re- I I don't know it. So it, the Big Lebowski definitely seems very trite in light of these very heavy movies, but like, it's really good and it's really you know it's 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 seeped into the culture. Um, yeah. And as far as movies that I like, but will probably not nominate, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, great movie. Um, and then in the animated realm, A Bug's Life, which I think is a very underrated Pixar movie. And then... Yeah, but would you nominate any of these? Probably. I'm just naming movies. And Mulan. <laughs> Mulan, like... Yeah, no. If, if, oh, you, yeah, if yeah. you have, like, ten nominees in 1998, Mulan definitely gets nominated. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. If you have, like, best animated feature, Mulan, it's Mulan. Mulan's a great movie. Yeah. Mulan is I think, like, one of the first movies I saw in theaters. But you just said you weren't going to theaters when you were four. Yeah. Whoa! Godzilla. Whoa! <laughs> There's a Godzilla. Yeah, it's the bad Godzilla. Oh, okay. It's the it's the uh, the roll the roll Emmerich. It's the the bad American. It's the movie that. <laughs> so uh, the the American version of Godzilla. The Truman Show came out. That's what I that was what I said. Oh, sorry. That was the first one. I said Armageddon and Deep Impact both came out that year, guys. Armageddon, an Oscar-nominated movie. Armageddon out of here. <laughs> Um, what was it nominated for the Oscar for? 
it was <laughs> no it was actually yeah no. i don't want to miss a thing was nominated and so was like uh sound editing visual effects and sound mixing Mm. Um, yeah. But my fun Godzilla fact was that Toho, the studio that makes Godzilla, bought the rights to the American Godzilla character and they renamed it Zilla because they thought it took the god out of Godzilla. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so don't talk to me about that role number of nonsense. Um, anyway, that... Oh, look out. He's looking at the right list of the song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um... Sounds good. Thanks, thanks, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, do, do we want to say what, what's what's for next year, nineteen ninety nine? Give them a little, a little, a little preview. preview. Uh, movies are American Beauty, The Cider House Rules, The Green Mile, The Insider, and The Sixth Sense. Cheery slate. Yeah, um, I'm. I am as much as I did like this past year. I am looking forward to not having all period pieces. Um, Agreed. Right. I, don't, I feel like I need to watch more period pieces. Maybe you do. There will be plenty more to come. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for listening. Um, I'm Mike Levito. I'm on Letterboxd as Ameramike. On Twitter as at Levito. I'm the Lars Train. I'm on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. That's all. I'm Kathleen, and I'm at Letterboxd every once in a while as Kathleen Levito. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Um, we have exciting things in the works, Catherine alluded to it earlier, so hopefully that uh, comes out sooner than later. Hopefully hear, you hear and see a lot more of us in the coming month or so. Um, but again, thanks for listening, and um, have, have a great... Good night. Good night. Good luck. Good night and good luck. Stay righteous. Be righteous to each other.